I'd like to just share a brief story and, and let the story kind of set up where I want to head today. It's funny that Kathy said the word starting point, the, the, the name of this message is starting point. And my main point today, hopefully some of those resources and just this hearing that is helpful to you and it's stirring you up. But what I want to do is I want to lay a foundation for us that when you go to do this exercise in whatever way, shape, or form you do it, there's a foundation that I want to lay this morning that I feel like the Lord would want to lay. And I want to do it by sharing this story uh, brief. But um, in August 7th, 1997, there is an airliner, um, and it's one that probably none of us have heard of because it's a cargo airliner called Fine Air. And Fine Air uh, operated out of Miami and um, would mostly do, as I said, cargo to places in the Caribbean. Well, this flight on this day, sadly, just made it off the runway, went nose up, and skidded across 72nd Street there at the end of the runway at Miami uh, Airport and just burst into ball of flames. So the question is, why? Why did that happen? Why did this, why did this plane really never get to engage in its flight? As it turns out, um, the, the guys loading the plane were using the wrong information. In other words, they had the paper that they had that helped figure out what the weight and balance was in the aircraft was actually for another fine air aircraft. So they were trying to apply information to the plane that was the wrong information. And, of course, with an aircraft, it's not just the weight of the aircraft that matters for it to take off, but it's how it's loaded. You can't have too much weight in the front or it just won't take off. Or in the case of fine air, what happened was they had loaded that flight on 7 August 1997. They loaded it so far back that that's why when it took off, it just went nose up. And, of course, when it, when it exceeded... The angle was so great that it, it couldn't have flight. You know, it wasn't able to, to take flight. And so it crashed at the end of the runway. And sadly, the three crew and the one security guard on board all passed away. So my point is this, is we need to have the right starting point. Just like fine air that day, they needed the right weight and balance information for them to even have a hope of flying, let alone getting their destination. So you and I, as we go to do this exercise, we need to have the right starting point. And I'm going to suggest today that one possible starting point for us is this truth from Isaiah 41, 8 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, get out Isaiah 41, 8 to 16, um, and we'll have it on the screen above also. And as you're looking and I'm flipping, um, let us pray. Lord, thank you that you care about our lives. Lord, thank you that you've created us to walk with you. And thank you, Lord, that you've created us to enjoy a journey with you. Um, Thank you, Lord. You've created us. Even as we see it just in natural life, the whole lifespan is filled with different seasons and different strengths at different seasons. And Holy Spirit, how the desperate need of this hour is for each one of us to know the season that we are in and to know corporately as the church, what season are we in at the harbor and what season is the body of Christ in New England in? We need to know these things, Lord. And so it's with our ears inclined to you that we open up the scripture saying, Lord, will you just give us hope? And faith today. And let our starting points, um, as we kind of go through an exercise uh, by faith, we're going to go through an exercise of just, Lord, what are you calling us to uh, this year? That the foundation, that the starting point for us be one of such faith, hope, and love um, that we just will revel in, in the love that you have for us, Lord. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little word, a little context here. Isaiah 41 When you get into the back part of Isaiah, meaning kind of Isaiah 40 and beyond, we're in the part where Isaiah has switched um, kind of the the, the time is different. The beginning part of Isaiah is, hey, we are preparing to be exiled. You know, we're going to be taken away. 
And now when we get in the back part, part of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying, hey, we're going to be brought back home. We are headed back to Jerusalem. We're headed back homeward. Let's start thinking that way. And Isaiah 41, then verses 1 through 7, God is addressing the nations like Babylon or Assyria. And, um, and he's saying, hey, guys, I use you for my purposes. I'm the Lord of the nations. And I raise people up and I humble them all according to my purposes. And you guys, you guys, are, you guys still worship idols, you Assyrians. You know, you Babylonians, you still worship your idols. And then verse 8 is this incredible turn. It's kind of like God's like, you guys, I use you for my purposes, and you still worship idols. But Israel, but you, for whom I care, and for whom I have great favor. And I want you to get that right from the beginning, that as soon as we start these verses, you need to hear the voice of the Lord, and his voice towards you is very tender. And that is the starting point, actually. When you go through this exercise of, God, what have you called me to do and be this year? Your starting point has to be that the Lord is very tender with you. He is kind. He's compassionate. Let's hear the things that he says. So, and you can just, I I will give you the grace to take the liberty and put your own name in some of these places here. This is how he's speaking to you and me today. Verse 8. But you, O Neil, O Elizabeth, O David, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. We're just going to walk through these verses little by little. It's one of the first starting places. You need to know that as you set these goals, it's not you against the world. It's God is the one who's chosen you and he's chosen you for intimate friendship. Right? I am God's chosen friend. That's what we have in the outline there. Top of the orange sheet. I am God's chosen friend. Gosh, you need to receive that today. That God looks to you and he includes you in that same lineage as Abraham. Was Abraham God's friend because he did everything right? Absolutely not. He lied. You know, he, was, he walked in a lot of fear. He missed it plenty of times. But God calls Abraham his friend because Abraham walked by faith. You know, by faith, Beth is believing that this year is going to be a year of hope. By faith, Beth believed that this 2012 was a year of God shining light in dark places in her life. It's by faith. You're a chosen friend of God. That's your starting point. And listen, look at verse 9. I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners, I called you. I said, I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Okay? You and I are not rejected. Right? I know that you feel disqualified because of your sins. I know you feel disqualified because you don't have that gifting or that one. You know what I'm saying? We all have those reasons why we can feel disqualified. I'm not this, that, or the other. What's God's word to us today from the scripture? It says, I'm the one who's taken you. You know, kind of from the farthest corners, the implication is, in spite of the fact, this, this, and this, right? In spite of the fact, you know, and you have your in spites. You know, I can't do this because what? I'm, you know, whatever your excuses are. But God's saying, I'm the one who took you from that place. I'm the one who chose you, right? From that place of total sinfulness, from that place of, you know, your utter rebellion, from that place of your weakness, I'm the one who chose you. And I love you, you know? It's, it's God chose Israel because then God would get all the glory because Israel was totally weak. God's chosen you. He gets the glory because you are totally weak. And just, you need to receive that, that he has not rejected you. You know, we reject us. We reject each other. We reject ourselves very quickly. But God doesn't reject you. Amen? Come on. This is your starting point. Your starting point isn't, I need to earn God's favor this year because I'm a mess. That's not your starting point. Your starting point is, 
God speaks tenderly to you. He's the one who's chosen you. He wants you to be his servant and his friend. You know, Jesus, John 15, he said, I've, you know, uh, the, the servant doesn't know his master's business, but I've called you friends. And Jesus invites you into that. You are God's chosen friend. Is anyone getting encouraged here? Come on. All right. Verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen. I will help you. Okay, so many of us, because our images of God are so messed up, we don't realize that God wants to help us. He actually delights to help you. He delights to help you. He wants to help you. I showed up at the gym on Thursday morning, and I'm so glad that Jim was there on the treadmill. And I got on the treadmill right next to him. I said, let's go. I mean, I'm just, I mean, honestly, it wasn't like a huge deal, but I was just, you know, I was uh, feeling not too excited about the gym. Some of you know I hurt my back last Saturday, a week ago. And so I was just back on Thursday, just being like, what can I actually do? Because my back still hurts. What can I do? Well, I can get on the treadmill. And Jim was there. And honestly, the cool thing was Jim's simple proximity, him just being in the treadmill next to me, gave me a little joy and a little spark and a little fire to get on that thing and go for two miles, you know? Jim's proximity made me better. Well, gosh. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe is near to you? That the same God that threw the stars into space and created the DNA in the, you know, in your, in the cells of your body, that God is close to you, and he wants to be with you. And I actually would inv- invite you, take stock of what are the things that I am afraid of, or what, of what things cause me real dismay. You know, are there places of real dread in your life? What are they? And just bring them to God. Say, God, this is, this is what I fear. This is my dread. I dread this. Watch God or invite him to be someone who turns your dread into delight. He really can. He can turn places of dread into light by his simple presence, by his proximity. And he wants to uphold you with his righteous right hand. So like I say there in the outline, I'm strengthened by God's proximity if you've, or presence, you know, whichever, whichever P word you feel like today. I am strengthened by God's proximity. That's your starting point. Your starting point is God is near you, and that helps. Amen. There we go. Let's keep getting encouraged, all right? Third thing, let's take verses 11 and 12. All who rage against you, and don't you know that the enemy rages against you? Okay, John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, abundant life. There is an enemy I mean, there are moments when I just think kind of all hell is breaking loose. You know, I think of in our home sometimes. It's just crazy. And, and um, you know, even this back thing, I'm like, okay, my, I wounded, like my back hurts. Things are going crazy here. These guys are having a hard time. These guys are having a hard time. And it just seems crazy. And I just step back and I go, there is an enemy. And he rages against me. But my God is bigger. And my God can save. And my God will rescue. And he has a way out for me right now. And he has a way out for us right now. But listen to this promise from God. All who rage against you. I'm thinking primarily of spiritual principalities here. Perhaps you have actual people who rage against you. They will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. What I take from this in the context of this idea of starting point is we have a God who knows that we are opposed, okay? 
Like what I wouldn't want you to do is I wouldn't want you to go to this exercise and say, man, I've got to get it together, especially in the areas of, um, you know, sinfulness where you think, gosh, you know, I've got to fix this thing. Absolutely. You got to fix the thing. But you know what? You've got a God who knows that all of hell is raging against you. Okay, you've got a God who knows that all of I'll just say it again. It was so good. All of hell is raging against you. Okay, because you bear the image of God. Satan is mad at God. Satan knows that he's done. I mean, the, the writing is on the wall. Satan, and just let's remember what hell was created for. Hell was created for Satan because he rebelled against God. That's the original kind of plan is, and he knows that he's on his way there. Well, guess what? He's doing everything that he can to tear you down because we bear the image of God. And especially as followers of Jesus, we have that image in us in a special way, and he's raging against you. He hasn't won the battle for your soul. He's lost that battle, but he wants to minimize you. He wants to minimize your effect in life. He wants to minimize your effectiveness. He just wants to make you plain miserable. But we've got a God who knows that. And we've got a God who will defend you, who is your defense. So in our outline, that's it. I am defended. Okay? Verses 11 and 12. Your starting point is not, I'm alone in this thing. Your starting point, as you think of what the Lord wants to do with you in 2013, is, I am defended. Everyone say defended. Okay, you are defended. You are defended. I don't have the answer on why God lets certain things pass through. You know, I'm in the middle of reading Job. And for whatever reason, God allowed Job to get totally crushed, although he was a righteous man. So I don't have every answer for why, you know, the problem of evil. I don't have that answer. But what I do know is that God, this scripture communicates to me that God knows that I am oppressed, you know, in the sense that, like, I am that there's an enemy, I'm opposed is a better word. God knows that you're opposed, and he cares, and he's willing to defend. He will defend, he does defend. Amen? Amen. Amen. And they will be as nothing as Isn't that a great, that's a great promise, that those things that oppose you, they will, their memory will vanish. I hope we see a lot of it on this side of heaven. Some of it we may not see till the other side of heaven. But you are defended. Okay, verses 13 and 14 is kind of a reprise of verse 10. But gosh, when God's double saying things, that means he really means it. Listen to this. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand. Ah, I just love that image because of my own children. I think I take hold of his hand. God takes hold of of your hand because he loves you. He's tender towards you. He's not left you alone. And he says to you, do not fear. I will help you. He's saying it again. Don't fear. I will help you. Do not be afraid. And listen to the words he uses. O worm Jacob, O little Israel, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Man, I love this, you know. We just sang this on Christmas Eve. What are we just saying? I love it. It's um, O Holy Night. I need to get my... Yeah. The, the, one, of the, one of the choruses there, Matt Newby led us. And um, on Christmas Eve, the chorus of O Holy Night. Remember? He knows our need. To our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king before him lowly bend. Behold your king before him lowly bend. But man, when we sang that, it just hit me. He knows our need and to our weakness is no stranger. Here God is calling Jacob a little worm. He's calling him little Israel. In other words, he knows your need. He knows your weakness. Or as the Psalms say, he knows that we're dust, right? We were made from dust. He knows that we're fragile, okay? 
So, again, that's your starting point. In, in, in preparing for 2013, you say, God, thank you that you know my need. You know, when God calls Jacob Worm, he's not dissing him. It's not a hardcore diss. It's not, man, you just stink. It's, hey, I see your need. I know your weakness, and I love you. I myself will help you. And, in fact, I, I love the link here because then what does God call himself? You know, to refer even to that um, idea that Graham Cook gives of what does God need me to, or what does God what does God want to be for me in a given moment? Look at this. In our weakness, us being the worms that we are or the little ones that we are, he says, I'm your redeemer. I'm your redeemer. Okay? Redeem, right? We redeem cans at Stop and Shop. He buys back our weakness, right? That, the very place where the enemy wants to get you, Jesus buys it back. He redeems it. He turns to gold that which was junk, you know. He's our redeemer. He can buy you back. He can buy back that which is weak, that which is uh, troublesome in your life. Okay? And then, again, what does he call himself? He calls himself the Holy One of Israel. I've got news for you. I'm not that holy on my own. (laughs) But with God living inside me and with a holy God, I can be holy. Right? God's command over and over in the Old Testament is, Be holy because I am holy. So in those very places of weakness, in those places of sin, God says, I'm your Redeemer, and I'm the Holy One of Israel. I can make you holy. It's kind of the implication there. Amen? I can set you apart. I can consecrate you for service. You're right. That thing, it's too hard for you. That issue, it's too big for you. But I'm the Redeemer. I'm the Holy One. I'll do it. That's your starting point. So as you're kind of writing out, okay, Lord, here's an area where I need to improve. You know, I often fall into this ditch, or I often fall into this gutter. Lord, thank you that you're the Holy One. You're the Redeemer, and you buy it back. So as I says again, verse 13, 14, the encore there, the reprise, I'm strengthened and helped by God's proximity. I'm strengthened by his presence. Amen. And then lastly, probably this image is the one that just gets me so excited. Um, this image here in 15 and 16. See, I will make you... Because so far... Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes my thoughts are too excited. <clears throat> I can interrupt myself. It's a great conversation. <clears throat> See, I will make you into a thrusting sledge. What I was about to say was, now we get offensive, right? So far it's been a little bit defensive. But check out this offense that God wants to play in your life. See, I will make you into a threshing sledge. New and sharp with many teeth. You will thresh the mountains and crush them and reduce the hills to chaff. You will winnow them. The wind will pick them up and a gale will blow them away. But you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. Now, we just need a little first century agricultural education to get the power of this image. So a threshing sledge. So we're talking about the harvest, grain, grain being brought in. And... um, one variant of the threshing sledge is a kind of a wooden, just you can imagine just a piece of plywood, uh, flat, square, rectangle kind of thing. And on the bottom, there are sharp things like rocks or uh, stones that have been sharpened. And the, 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 say the pile of wheat is stepped on. You step on this, this um, wooden thing so that the teeth kind of grind into it. What it does is it makes the wheat um, kind of broken so that then it's thrown up into the wind and the heavy grain falls down, and the chaff is blown away. There's a separation. Of course, you're not unfamiliar with this image in, in Scripture, the imagery of wheat and chaff being separated. That's how it's done. But look at what God's saying. 
He's saying, I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge with new and sharp, with many teeth, and you will thresh the mountains and crush them. Okay? Like threshing sledges normally thresh small piles of grain. But God's saying, you're going to thresh mountains. You're going to crush them. You're going to reduce hills to chaff. In other words, the big obstacles in your life, the biggest things that get you, the things that you feel are not overcomable, God is saying, you're going to thresh those things. I will have you overcome. You will winnow them. The wind will pick them up, and a gale will blow them away. Or, again, speaking of Graham Cook, this is kind of on the fly. I love one of, another one of his expressions is, God wants to be the solver of your biggest problem. He wants to. He's not offended. I think what we need to make sure we do is we need, you know, our response needs to be to bring those problems to God. So often because of shame or fear or just unbelief, we don't bring those mountains to God. But here God is saying in his word that he wants you to bring that mountain to him and say, okay, God, turn me into a threshing sledge here. Help me to overcome. And God is saying, I'm going to make you into it. I'm going to do it. Do you believe he can? Okay. Now, the difference here, what makes this not a health and wealth gospel, because I realize that even right in this, I could kind of tweak this message a little, and we could just go to health and wealth. In 2013, praise the Lord, big savings accounts and Cadillacs. Amen, you know. (laughs) But really what keeps it from being turned into a health and wealth gospel, because God does want you to overcome. But it's this little tag on 16 that I love. Because notice where our hearts will be when that happens. As God enables us to overcome, the big obstacles in our life, those mountains, those hills that seem just unsurmountable. Where does our heart land? Our heart lands here. But you will rejoice, what? In overcoming? No, you'll rejoice in the Lord, okay, in the person of God. And your glory will be in how awesome you are and how great your overcoming is. No, your glory is what? In the Holy One of Israel. He's holy. And this reminds me of a little moment that we saw captured by um, the gospel writer Luke. And this moment was Jesus was just such a good uh, imparter and delegator, you know. Really, it just is amazing that Jesus um, changed the world. It's okay. No one feel condemned. Um, You know, it's just cool that Jesus changed the world by investing in a few people. Isn't it just amazing? He's just very good at that. So, but he, at one point, he sent out a whole crew. He sent out, in Luke 9, 10, 11 in there, he sent out 72. He said, all right, guys, preach this gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick. Watch what happens. He sent them out, and they came back rejoicing, saying, oh, my gosh, like, this thing works. Jesus, this power is real. And Jesus had a little tweak, just like this verse, a little tweak for him. He said, hey, guys, don't rejoice that the evil spirits yield to you, as cool as that is. But you need to rejoice that your name's in heaven. Or it's the bigger deals that you've been even included in God's plan. And so that, that's just a good, um, I like that because that helps us on our starting point. If our starting point is God loves me, he's for me, he's defending me, his proximity is going to make me make it. But also he is wanting to be the overcomer of my biggest problems. And at the end, the rejoicing is going to be that God did it and that he gets the glory and Amen. You know, he's, he's the one. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, just a little, a little um, you know, Beth mentioned getting a word from the Lord. I encourage you, yeah, get, see if there's a scripture that really resonates with you. So you can say, God, what's your focus for me this year? But I just wanted to give you one to start with. 
This is one that I feed on regularly. Honestly, this Isaiah 41, it started when I was 25. At 25 years old, I said, God, what do you want for the next 10 years from me? And I feel like he, he brought me to this passage. So it's one that I have gone back to and just fed on over and over again. And I encourage you to do the same. So there's a good starting point for you. Amen? Amen. Because if we start doing this together, if we all start having this starting point, then we don't crash and burn, right? Fine air, crash and burn, because they had the wrong starting point. Our starting point is God loves me. He defends me. Um, he wants to be the biggest overcomer. And then we don't crash and burn. Amen? Awesome. Josh Allen, come on up. Let's respond to the Lord and ask for help. As Josh and the team are coming up, I just want to share a couple of things that we felt like God was speaking to us in our prayer time this morning. We felt like, so you just hear and see if any of these really affect you. The, number one, we thought that, um, that God really wanted to bring healing to someone who's feeling very fatherless. If you're out there and you feel a little orphaned, a lot of times the holidays can bring up that orphan feeling. If you feel kind of orphaned, not literally, perhaps literally, but, um, and you just don't know the affection of your father, either heavenly or natural, please let someone pray for you. Maybe it's someone right here next to you, or if you want to come and get prayer by coming up to the, this area, you may. Another thought we had was that God gave us a picture of a knife or a sword. And the picture is that, you know, you, one of us, really had to take care to walk alongside that sword carefully. In other words, the kingdom of God is narrow. Jesus said it's a narrow way. But you could trust him. And walking on that sword of God's word, you know, he's going to cut through all the junk in your life. So there's a kind of a, like, it's narrow. It's a narrow way that God's calling you to walk. But because you're walking on the sword of the word of the Lord, you can trust him to take care of you, basically. Another picture that we had was um, uh, of just of God's perseverance and that um, uh, you could just actually I'll just give you the, the visual because the visual is really helpful. This morning, Bob, our awesome custodian, was with some guys here was working on starting the snowblower. And I guess they had to crank that thing a lot. <laughs> we got some we got some limp arms right now. But 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 this image of just keep having to turn that thing until it finally started up. There was a sense that, hey, that's how God is with us. He doesn't give up. He's going to keep cranking you. <laughs> you might not catch right now. You might, you might not be starting right now. But God's going to keep cranking you because he loves you. And lastly, we had a, phys- a word for physical healing that um, someone's hand is wounded. And it's, it's especially grievous because your hands, you need them for your work. You work with your hands. And so um, if that's you, God wants to heal you. Amen. Let's stand up.